Thanks for joining us for Open Bible Online today. Open Bible Baptist Church has been in South Jersey for over 60 years. We love this community and we want to be a help to you. In order to help us help you in the best way possible, would you do us a favor? Please fill out the digital connection card posted in this link. Here you could post prayer requests and also ask any questions you may have about Open Bible. If you'd like to give today, you could give online in less than two minutes. Visit openbiblenj.org for more information. Thanks again for joining us today. Now enjoy the service. Amen. Join me, if you would, this morning in Second uh, Chronicles chapter 15, please. Thank you for the good singing this morning. And uh, as we celebrate our nation's 247th birthday. On Tuesday, we say happy birthday to America. I'm thankful I'm American. Aren't you? And I know there's a whole lot going on in our nation, but I'm still glad I'm an American. Second Chronicles chapter 15. A moment ago, we, uh, we pledged our allegiance, you remember, just a moment ago, to the flag of the United States of America. Not sure if you're aware of this or not, but you know the pledge was amended in 1954, and the words, under God, were added. In the original, when it was put together, those words were not there. But in 1954, a preacher came under conviction and influenced the then-President then uh, Eisenhower to add those words, under God. One nation, under God. Indivisible with liberty and justice for all. And I'm glad they did. And the motive, the reason behind um, that preacher provoking the president to add those words under God was simply this, to set America separate from all other, na all other nations so that we can say as a nation, like no other nation, we are one nation under God. I like that. And I'm glad that Congress voted yay, and today we stand as one nation under God. So what does it mean to be under God? Think about that for a second with me. What does that mean, under God? Well, let me simplify it for us. It just speaks about authority, right? It speaks about rank. So what we're saying as a nation, I guess, is simply this in our pledge, at least. What we're saying is, as a nation, we are submissive to God. We are placing ourselves under the authority of God. We are going to uh, submit to God and serve God and honor God to the very best of our ability. That's what it means to be under God. Amen? And I believe this. That's a good place to be, under God. Uh, but not only as a nation. I think this. I think the words under God, and when you and I, when we live under God, it separates us from all other religions. Think about it for a second. What we're saying is, as, as his people, we are under God. Not all religions say that. Some religions are under an authority, but not God. And you know, under God also separates us as believers because sometimes we might say, as a believer, I'm under God, but not all who believe are. Does that make sense? 
And so I think this, I think being under God is the best place to be if you're a child of God, if you're a Christian. The psalmist said this in Psalm 91, verse number 1, He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Isn't that a great Bible verse? Fellows, did I have that up on the screen? Is that Bible verse in there? There it is. Yeah, i got to speak a little louder so you can hear me. Look at that Bible verse. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. It's good to be under God. And I think when you and I as His children, when we recognize that He is Almighty God and we place ourselves under His authority, things go well for us. Amen? Let me turn your attention to this text this morning because it's an interesting passage of Scripture. And I want, you, I want to read verse 1 down through verse number 7, and, uh, and then we'll come back and finish up in verse number 8 in just a little bit. But look at verse number 1. It says, The Spirit of God came upon Azariah the son of Oded, and he went out to meet Asa and said unto him, Hear ye me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you. Now pay attention here. The Lord is with you while ye be with him. You see that? You may want to highlight that in your Bible. You may want to take note of that. The Lord is with you if ye be with him. He will be found of you. Excuse me. And if you seek him, he will be found of you. But if ye forsake him, what's that say, class? He will forsake you. Now pay attention to this. Look at verse 3. He says, now, for a long season Israel has been without the true God and without a teaching priest and without the law. Did you see that? Look at, don't look at me, please. Look at your Bible. I want you to see verse number, number three. Look what he says. For a long time, for a long season, Israel has been without, without the true God, without a teaching priest, and without law. But when they, in their trouble, did turn unto the Lord God of Israel and sought him, he was found of them. Isn't God gracious? It says in verse number five, as a result, in those times when they were without God and true God and without the law, without a teaching priest, look what it says. There was no peace to him that went out, nor to him that came in. But great vexations were upon all the inhabitants of the countries. Look at, look at verse six. Nation was destroyed of nation and city of city, for God did vex them with adversity. Verse 7, be strong, therefore, and let not your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. So when you read this passage of Scripture, you immediately are, are, are focused, you're, 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 uh, you're brought to attention of a, of a real problem. There's a record of a real problem here in the nation of Israel. And pretty much what the text says is this, and I don't know if you'd agree with this or not, but instead of being under God, Israel at this point in time was out from under God. I remember years ago hearing someone preach a message about that very thing, how America once was a nation under God, but now it appears that we are a nation out from under God. And when you look around and when you see what's going on, you know, in our nation, in our streets, in our communities, I think maybe we'd agree that yes, indeed, we are out from under the authority of Almighty God. We're not submitting to God as we should. And when you look at this text of Scripture and examine it, uh, I, think, I think we're told, at least given three ideas as to why the nation was in the condition it was in. 
And I'll highlight it for you. Verse number three, it says this. It, it talks about uh, they, were, they, were without, they were without the true God. They were living without. They were living without the true God. They were living without a teaching priest. And they were living without the law. Wrap your brain around that for a second. Here's the nation of Israel who was chosen by God, founded by God, established by God, but now they're living without. And if you look at verse 3, it says, without the true God, without a teaching priest, and without the law of God. And as a result, as a result, here's what happens. There's no peace in the streets. Did you see verse 5? There's no peace in the streets, right? Uh, no peace to him that went out nor, nor came in. Uh, nations against nation. There's turmoil in the city. And that's because God did send adversity. God was allowed. It's almost as if, you know, God, God stepped back and, you know, Romans chapter 1 talks about how God, you know, turns them over and gives them up. Or in other words, God allows us every once in a while to do our own thing. And in this text of Scripture, I think God just says, okay, let's see how you make out without me. And as a result, I mean to tell you, it's just a mess. Did you see it? I mean, nations against nation, there's no peace in the community. Cities are, you know, in turmoil because God is sending adversity. You know what adversity does every once in a while when God sends adversity to folks like you and I who know him? It's just his way of getting our attention. It's just his way of saying to you and I, hey, have you forgotten about me? Hey, have you forgotten how much you need me? And in this passage of Scripture, what you find is this. We find that uh, the man of God is summoned. So let me, let me walk you back. Let me walk you back to verse number one, where the Spirit of God comes upon the prophet Nazariah. And the prophet Azariah says, speaks to the king Asa. So now the prophet of God, the man of God, is speaking to the king of Israel, or king of Judah, Asa. And I want you to notice, I want you to notice uh, what he begins to say to him. He says in verse number one, he says, if you seek him, he will be found of you. Amen. Did you see that? Amen. I mean to tell you, look, look, look at it again. He says, the Lord is with you while ye be with him. And if you seek him, verse number two, if you seek him, uh, he will be found of you. And he goes on and he says this to Asa, the man of God. He says, what you need to do is, is just take courage. Look at verse number, look at verse number, uh, verse number uh, eight, if you would. And when, and when Asa heard these words and the prophecy of Oded the prophet, he took courage. And he put away the abominable idols out of all the land of, of Judah and Benjamin and out of the cities which he had taken from Mount Ephraim and renewed the altar of the Lord that was above the porch of the Lord. And so now the prophet of God, the man of God, is speaking to the king, Asa, and he says to him, you know, since, uh, since you're living in a time where the nation of Israel is not recognizing me, let me tell you what you need to do. The first thing you need to do is you need to take courage. You need to take courage. Now, I'm not sure if you're aware of this or not, but it takes courage. It takes courage to live for God. And here in this text, I appreciate what this man of God does because it says in verse number 8 that he put away the abominable idols out of the land. Did you see it? Huh? 
And so he goes, on a, he goes on a campaign, he goes on a crusade, so to speak. And that's going to take some courage. And so the man of God, the priest, uh, 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 the uh, prophet says to him, you need to be bold and courageous to take a stand here. And he does. And he puts away the idols from the people, the idols that they had adopted. Kind of reminds me of when the Lord said to a fellow named Joshua way back, he said to Joshua after Moses died, the man of God, he said to Joshua, he said, now Joshua, you need to be of good courage. He said you need to be courageous. Several times in chapter number one of the book of Joshua, he mentions, mentions to Joshua, you just need to be courageous. Why? Well, because Joshua is now called upon to lead the children of Israel into the promised land. When I begin to think about those things, I say to myself, how can I make this practical for me? And you know, I come to realize that it really does take courage for you and I today to be what God wants us to be. Doesn't it? It takes courage. It takes courage to do the right thing. It takes courage to say the right thing. Right? And, and you know this, we often talk about being PC. You know what that means? What's PC mean? Hello? What? Politically correct. You know, right? We've got to be really careful today because the slightest thing you might say, you can really get in trouble for or be labeled. And we, assert, we don't want to be labeled. I mean, we don't want to be called haters, do we? But we have, to, we have to take a stand somewhere. We have to speak up sometime. Huh? Can I get a little personal? Now, we are, we are live streaming, so I need to be really careful and be politically correct with what I say. But I'm not sure if you watched the news this past week. Our Supreme Court really stood up. Look here. If you have any Bible integrity at all, if you believe the Bible at all, if you have any desire to see God bless America at all, then you know what took place this week was important. And our Supreme Court, and I won't get into all that kind of stuff, but they made some decisions that caused me to say, wow, there is some hope. For America. And that took courage. It took courage to make those decisions this past week. And we can only hope and pray that moving forward, they'll continue to have the courage, you know, to do that same thing, right? And they've been doing a half-decent job, I think. It takes courage to live for God. It takes courage to do the right thing. It takes courage to say the right thing. It takes courage to witness the gospel, doesn't it? It takes courage. You know, I wish I can stand here today and say to you that I am fearless when it comes to speaking to people about Jesus, but I'm not. Huh? Oh, in this pulpit, behind this sacred desk, you know, I have all kinds of courage, but when I'm in the arena of life, you know, it gets a little bit. Because I always think, you know, I always think I'm impeding upon this individual space. And who am I to walk up to somebody out of nowhere and just say, hey, hey, sir, sir if you get a chance, would you read this? If, and here's, here's what my wife does. My wife is a track star. Amen. These are gospel tracks. She's a track star. And I mean to tell you, no matter where we go, right, Nicole, no matter where we go, everywhere we go, she's got a million of these things someplace in her presence. And everybody gets one. And here's what my wife says. She says, and she, my wife is so sweet, she'll say, Hun, 
Hun, and I kind of turn away when she does this. She'll say, hun, if you get a chance, would you read that? It's all about Jesus. She doesn't just, right, Nicole? She doesn't just say, hey, if you get a chance, would you read that? That's what I do. I just walk by and say, hey, if you get a chance, read that. You know? And not Donna. Man, Donna, I mean to tell you, she's just got this way about her. She's so sweet. But, and it's always, if you get a chance, it's all about Jesus. She's got to throw that in there. I'm glad she does. You know, it's all about Jesus. But I'll be honest with you, it takes courage. Come on now, you're looking at me like I'm the only weenie here. I'll never forget the very first time I was out, years, years ago, I was out knocking on doors, Dr. Riddell, in South Philadelphia. And it was my, it was my uh, kind of first time to fly solo, so to speak. And I had with me my, my, my fu- future brother-in-law. And we knocked at the door. Did you ever been to South Philly? We were on Kamak Street. Anybody? Kamak Street? I mean, the street is not as wide as this building. Huh? And you got to fit your car down the center aisle. Huh? Whatever you're eating for dinner on one side of the street, the people are burping on the other side of the street. I mean, that's how tight it is, you know? And, and you know, you got, you got these little row homes, and, you know, this, this row home had about maybe five steps up, you know, concrete steps. And I forget, we were, you can't stand on the step, knock at the door, because the person opens the door, going to knock you off the step. So you got to knock at the door and then walk back down. And so we knocked at the door, walked back down. My brother-in-law is about an inch shorter than me. I'm six foot one, he's six foot. And... Uh, <laughs> And so, knocked at the door, and we stepped down. I don't forget this. Uh, I had my New Testament in my hand, had my gospel tract in my hand, you know. And the guy who opened up the door was like the size of Matt Gono. Matt, how tall are you? Would you sit, stand up right now, if you don't mind, real quick. Look at this little guy. So, a guy like Matt stands up. He had to be every bit of six-something. But I'm, we're five steps down. He's five steps up. When he looked down, I, I promise you, I didn't do a whole lot of research in David and Goliath, but that was a David and Goliath situation. And I'll never forget what I was thinking. Here's what I was thinking. What is the easiest way to get out of here and not look like a fool? A hubbada, 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 hubbada. And my brother-in-law's looking at me. He's not saying a word because I was the key guy, you know? And I promise you, this is exactly what God did for me. I promise you, this is, I, 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 ha, I don't know what I said, but I got something out of my mouth. The fellow closed the door behind him, came and sat down on the step so that we were eye level. Amen. Amen. And I said, well, let me tell you about the Lord. <laughs> I got a lot of courage right there. But it takes courage. It takes courage to live for God. It takes courage to do the right thing. It takes courage to speak up in the right way. It takes courage to witness the gospel. It takes courage to go against the grain. Did you hear that one? It takes courage to go against the grain. It takes courage to do what you know the Lord wants you to do. It takes courage to live under God. Are you with me? Now think about this, the, the, the nation of Israel, Judah, which is kind of like the bedrock of Israel, the hub of Israel, is living without the true God, without a teaching priest. I'll come back to that in just a moment. Without the law of God. 
And so the prophet of God says to the king, this is what you need to do. You need to get, you need to get back. You need to have enough courage to take these people back. It takes courage, doesn't it? But it didn't stop there. I want you to notice in verse number 8 how he continues on. It says this, and he renewed the altar of the Lord that was before the porch of the Lord. And so he says, you, you need to be courageous and so Asa says, okie dokie, I'm going to be courageous. And here's what the first thing he does is he begins, to, he begins to lead the people back to God. He renewed the altar. He repaired the altar. Let me say a word. Let me say a word about that. Altars are important. For the nation of Israel, for the Israelites, it was a place where they would go to connect with God. The altar was a place where they would go and uh, interact with God. The altar was a place daily where they would go, now pay attention here, to worship God, to sacrifice to God, to experience God. Are you, are you with me? The altars were broken down. Asa the king now is going to have enough courage to go and repair. He's going to repair the altar. Uh, the altar was that place. It was that place. And Asa had the good sense to repair the altar so that the people would have, a, would have a, a, a way to get back to God, back into a relationship with God. And I believe this. I believe that there's some altars that need to be repaired today. There's some altars. Are you with me, church? There's some altars that need to be repaired today. Uh, for example, I think we need to repair the personal altar. We need to have a personal altar. We need to have a place where designed, separated, labeled as my place where I meet with God. My place where I get alone with God. My place where I interact with God. My place where I experience God. My place where I enjoy God. My place where I fellowship with God. We've got to have a personal altar in our life. And I know this for a fact that many of them are broken down. Many of our altars are broken down. I'm old enough and been around long enough in the Lord now to know there was a time in the American church, in a church just like this, where God's people knew how to get a hold of God. Yeah. And I'm not saying we don't, but it just appears to me that we don't. Huh? I know we know how to, Mm, but sometimes we don't. When I look back at, and I'm not talking about the old timers, because the old timers back then were just like you and I, young people. Uh, you should have said something right there. <laughs> but it's, it, it just appeared that they just, they just had a, a closer walk with God, you know, and, 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 and maybe, maybe just, they just knew how to experience God I just have a feeling that they had these personal altars built up in their life where they knew how to get a hold of God. I'll never forget this growing up. We grew up Catholic, our family, and we were nominal. You know what that means? In name only. My parents weren't really practicing. We went, me and my brother and sister, we went to, we went to parochial school, went to Catholic school from, from, from first grade. We all graduated from Catholic school. 
And so when you went to elementary school as a Catholic, you had to go to Mass every Sunday. How many of you know where I'm talking about? I don't want to bring back bad memories, but, you know. And if you didn't go to Mass on Sunday because they took attendance, you know, on Monday, you got beat up by one of the sisters. I mean, they were good at that, man, you know. But, and so for some of us, it just wasn't real. But for my sister, it was real. And I promise you, this is the fact. My, my, in, in my sister's bedroom, when we were growing up, when, you know, we were just, you know, kids, I'm, I think I'm three years older than her. And so, you know, if I was in eighth grade, she's in fifth grade. Uh, when, when, when I would go by her bedroom, there were many times my sister would be standing at her bureau, and on her bureau, there was, she made a makeshift altar unto God. And I mean to tell you, she would stand, I would, I would pass by and peek in, you know. And she would stand there, and I'll never forget this, she had this little ritual, you know. She would bang her feet against the pure, you know. I don't know what that meant. I have no idea what she was trying to muster up there. But she would, she would be praying, you know. As just a little, now, we weren't, we weren't a born-again family at that time. We were Catholics. We, we didn't pray together. We, 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 we ate together. You know, but we didn't pray together. We didn't go to church together. My dad never sat us down and read the Bible. We didn't do any of that kind of stuff. But even as an unsaved, now my sister's saved, and she's a pastor's wife today. I don't know if she still stands at the bureau and kicks her feet against it. I'm not sure. But even back then, that young lady, my sister being three years younger than I, and as far as I can remember back, had a desire to devote herself to God. And I can't help but believe today that we've got to repair some altars here in America, beginning in our churches, and they've got to be first and foremost personal altars where we get back to knowing God. So what's that mean? You know, daily time spent with God, reading His Word, communicating with Him, praying having fellowship with him, and watching him work and trusting him as you go throughout your day, week, month, year. Personal altars. And then I think this, I think we need to reestablish some, some family altars. Quiet today. Some family altars where the family, once again, you know, spends time with God as a family, praying and reading and, and just expressing because our kids, well, I'll tell you what, they're growing up quick, and they're not getting it out there. Then I think, I think, I think we need to repair some of the church altars. You know, at the altar, significant decisions have been made. Are you with me? And it's sad when I hear of churches no longer having altar calls because it's not popular, because it dates us. Because when you have an altar call, you know, man, it takes you back, Pastor, to when, you know, we were hyper-fundamentalist and we were against everything. Well, we can, still be, we can still be for some things. Huh? I'll never forget some of the altar calls that I, I walked the aisle, and, and honestly, I didn't care who was watching. And I knelt down and I said, God, you, you got my attention today. And I, I don't want to leave this place without having made some kind of decision to do what you're calling me to do. Right, I'll never forget the night where I sat almost where you're sitting and God called me to preach. And I get up out of my seat and walked an aisle and knelt down. I didn't care who was watching. 
And I remember the many times when God would say, you've got to get that out of your life, son. And I'd say, what do I need to do? He said, bring it to the altar. Now, there's no altar here. It's just the front of the church. But I wonder through the years, Dr. Riddell, Dr. Riddell pastored this church for 43 years, if we could, if we could have these carpets speak, have this altar speak. Of how many people, of how many decisions, how many tears, how many victories have been won by God's people because they knelt down at an old-fashioned altar. Oh, I'm so concerned today that we're getting so fancy with church that we're taking away the very power of what church is all about. God forbid if we had a young person walk the aisle today, their peers would mock them. We need to repair the altars. Huh? That's exactly what Asa did. Asa took courage, and he began to repair the altar so that God's people can get back under because they were living out from under their God. We ought to have some altars in our life, places where we go to meet with God, worship God, interact with God. You know, I read this someplace in the New Testament. I'm just joking. But I did read it in the Bible where Jesus removed the veil of the temple. And you know why he did that? So that everybody can have access. We can all have access to God. You don't need to go through a priest or a preacher or a church leader. I mean to tell you, we, we have access to God through Jesus, our mediator. And I would say this, don't let anything, don't allow anything to hinder you from accessing your time with God. And so the prophet of God speaks to the, the king, Asa, and he says, you need to take courage, man. And he does. And the first thing he does is he repairs the altar, but he didn't stop there. Look at verse 16. It says, and, and, and also concerning Micaiah, the mother of Asa the king. This is his mother. He removed her from being queen. Somebody say, uh-oh. <laughs> he removed her from being queen because she had made an idol in a grove. And Asa cut down her idol and stamped it and burnt it at the book Kidron. Broke right What? Did you see that? And so he takes courage, he repairs the altar, and then he removes the queen. He removes the queen. Now, that's a sad commentary that I just read. Because the king's mother, the king's mother was the one who introduced the worship of Asherah. Asherah. Asherah is a pagan god. And if you look this up, I promise you, if you look this up, here's what the name Asherah means. Are you listening real good? It means the queen of heaven. The queen of heaven. You know, when I was raised up as a Catholic, you know, you know who we were told to worship? Who? Say who? Mary. And you know what she was? You know what I was told? I was told she's the mother of God. The mother of God. Now, I beg, I beg to differ, and I don't want to offend anybody. And if there are some Catholics watching, I, mean, I don't mean to offend you, but God doesn't have a mother. But we were told to worship her as the queen of heaven. <laughs> oh, man. Here's Asa 
with some courage. And he not only cuts down the idol that she erects, that statue, but you know what he does? And this took courage, man. He sits his mother down from being queen. Could you imagine? Mom, I hate to tell you this, but you got to go. For a lot of years, for a lot of years, Dr. Riddell, I pastored my mother and father. I love my mother. They're both with the Lord, love my parents greatly. But what a challenge. What a challenge. I'll never forget the day when my mother, as she's with the Lord, so she can't hear me. Because if she could, somehow, some way, she'd get me. She can't hear me. And I know the Lord won't tell her this because he doesn't gossip. I'll never forget the day I was, I was senior pastor of a church sitting behind my desk minding my own business, and my mother came into my office, steam coming out of her ears, out of her nose, out of every hole she had that steam can come out. And if you knew my mother, you didn't play with my mother. I told you what happened when I got caught hooky in school. She hit me on the top of my head with a, with a cast iron frying pan. Bam! I never hookied school again. Huh? I couldn't learn after that, but I, ne- I always went. <laughs> So I had to play with my mother. She walked in, and you know what she did? She closed the door behind her. I thought for sure I was getting spanked. (laughs) I thought for sure I did something. Now I'm going to get it again. And my mother, with steam coming out of her nose, she looked at me, and I just sat there until I couldn't take it anymore. And something said to me, hey, you're the pastor here, dude. And I'll never forget what I did because she never let me live it down. (laughs) I took my Bible. My Bible was there. I took my Bible, and I mean to tell you, I mustered up all of the courage I could possibly muster up, and I slammed my Bible down, and I said, excuse me, woman. Now blood was coming out of her ears and her nose, and... I'll never forget that day as long as I live. I don't remember much after that because I think I passed out. <laughs> Boom, I hit the floor, and now she's gone. Come on back, son. Come on back. <laughs> but I did. I had enough courage. But from that point, my mother came to me and apologized and said, I was not respecting you as my pastor. And, of course, I paid for her retirement for the rest of her life because I called her woman. The last time I said something like that, I got a bald spot on the top of my head, so. Yeah. He has enough courage. Now, I made you laugh a little bit because I got I to gotta help you with something. Pay attention right here. There are some times when you and I, we cannot go forward unless something's removed. Now, pay attention right here. Don't, don't, don't shut me down now. There's no going forward unless something is removed. Have you had those times in your life? Can you recall some things that had to go before you could go forward? Huh? I'm reminded of the testimony of Isaiah. It was not until the king was removed that Isaiah saw the Lord. Are you with me? 
And, and, and sometimes I think for us, if we're not careful, if we're not careful, uh, we, we, we allow some things to stand in our way. Let me see if I can make you understand this. Every once in a while, we have to go from the funeral to the burial. And you can't move on unless you can't get past the grief until the funeral, or excuse me, until the burial. And there are some things in our lives that we're still mourning, we're still grieving, we're still having a funeral for it. Huh? All right, let me make this, let me make this applicable. And I don't mind using myself because I, I just don't. When I came to New Jersey a year ago, I came physically. I didn't come mentally. I didn't come emotionally. I came physically. And you can ask my darling wife that many times I would say to her a month in, two months in, three months in, I'm out of here. I'm going back. I'm not staying. First door out, I'm taking it. Yeah. Think what you want. I'm just telling you the truth. So that's Florida for me. Put your, your situation in your life. Something you just can't, you're, just, you're still at the funeral. And it wasn't until I came to a place where I buried it that I can go on. Are you with me? Some things have got to be removed. Some things have got to go before we can go on. And I certainly want to go on. Now, I'll be honest with you, if by chance everybody in the church said, Pastor Nizzi, we love you dearly, but man, you, you got to go, I'll say, boy, I, I'm so sorry. I really love you folk, but can I go tomorrow? <laughs> now, I'm just teasing. I'm very happy where God has us, but I'm trying to make a point. And in our lives, we've got to come to that place when we recognize what might be standing in our way. Because if it's standing in our way, it's got to go. Uh, let me ask you this. Is there something hindering you from total obedience? What is it? Uh, is, there, is there something that has control over you, hindering your progress? What is it? And by the way, that something may be a someone. It's got to go. Asa knew he not only needed to cut down the idol, but the root. So what does he do? He, he, he says to his mother, you got to go, Mom. We can't let you be queen no more. You're messing me up. And if there's some things in your life that need to be cut down and removed in order for you to get back to the altar or to make progress, by all means, you ought to cut it down. You ought to remove it. You ought to get it out of the way. I hope I'm speaking to somebody today besides myself. I'm finished. Listen to this. To live without the true God, to live without a relationship with the true God, to live without a relationship with the man of God, to live without a relationship with the Word of God, are you listening carefully? Is to live without everything we need to have a healthy Christian life. Now, it didn't say they stopped worshiping. It just says they were worshiping without the true God. And the reason being is they didn't have a teaching priest. They didn't have a man of God. We could say Tony talking about a preacher. They didn't have somebody who was expounding the Word of God so that the people of God 
And so you ought to pray, God, please give Open Bible a continual voice from heaven. Help my pastor not to be timid. Help my, my preacher to speak the truth in love. Help my pastor to help me discover truth. Remind me of truth. Bring conviction upon my heart. That's what you ought to pray, because if not, why go to church? Right? Because we always want to be in a place where we're reminded of our need for the altar. Get back into the very presence of God. See, the best place for us to be is under God, yes. under His care, under His tutelage, under His instruction, under, under His love, <laughs> under the shadow of His wing, as the, the psalmist put it. That's the best place to be, under God. Asa didn't always do the right thing. In fact, when you read through here, he, he, he wasn't a perfect individual. No, no one is. You know, didn't always do the right thing, but he had a great start. He said, Pastor, where do I start? The only place you can start is right where you are. Just start right where you are, right here, right now. Start right where you are. Listen carefully. The altar is the best place to alter your life. The A-L-T-A-R is the best place to A-L-T-E-R, your life. Your life can be altered at the altar. And so maybe today we just need a trip to the altar. Huh? Oh, but if I did that, Pastor, man, what's everybody going to think? My spouse is going to think I'm a fraud. Who cares what anybody else thinks? That's our whole problem. We're living based upon what somebody else thinks. We ought to care about what's God think. What's God want me to do? I'm glad back in 1954, I'm glad that they added the words to the Pledge of Allegiance, one nation under God. And you know, when you look back over our history, we've had a bright history, right? And since we're still here, I think if we get under God, we may have a brighter future. But it's all predicated upon you and I being in a right relationship with God and having enough courage to do what He wants us to do. Amen. Amen. Thanks again for watching us online today. If you haven't done so already, please fill out a digital connection card so we know how to better serve you this week. For encouragement throughout your week, you can listen to past sermons by searching Open Bible Baptist Church on the Apple Podcast or Google Play Store. If you'd like to give today, you could give online at openbiblenj.org. Thanks again for joining us today. We'll see you on the next broadcast.